Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And for more than 10 years with SNN, I've been doing interviews with microcap management teams at investor conferences globally, as well as online. Our SNN Live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest, and then one can discover more by going to that company website. But personally, I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on that's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies, so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Sam Rubin, president and CEO of Lightpath Technologies. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is LPTH on NASDAQ. Lightpath Technologies is a global vertically integrated provider of optics, photonics, and infrared solutions for the industrial, commercial, defense, telecommunications, and medical industries. Lightpath designs and manufactures proprietary optical and infrared components, including molded glass aspheric lenses and assemblies, custom molded glass freeform lenses, infrared lenses, and thermal imaging assemblies, fused fiber collimators, and proprietary black diamond chalcogenide-based glass lenses. Lightpath also offers custom optical assemblies, including full engineering design support. The company is headquartered in Orlando, Florida, with manufacturing and sales offices in Latvia and China. The first time we interviewed management from Lightpath was back in 2012 for SNN Live. It's our short form video interviews that we did in an event. And since that time, the company has gone through quite a bit. And, and I invited Sam on to discuss the company's genesis to where they are today, as well as how the company and their technology has evolved over time, Lightpath's business strategy and criteria for working with their desired partners, and the market opportunity based on their target customer base. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Sam Rubin, President and CEO of Lightpath Technologies. Welcome everyone to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is Sam Rubin. He's the president and CEO of Lightpath Technologies. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is L-P-T-H on NASDAQ. Sam, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Absolutely great. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Um, you know, Planet Microcap is a great podcast. I've, I have watched it actually a few times before, even prior to joining Lightpath and excited to be here. 
Oh, that's awesome. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And, um, and listen, even before we had a chance to talk to you, I was telling you offline, you know, I, yeah. I've interviewed management from Lightpath, I think, since I began my career in microcaps back in like, I think 2011, <laughs> 2012. So, you know, Lightpath has been in our spectrum and our atmosphere yeah. for a while. And, you know, I wanted to kind of find out, you know, what's going on, you know, your new management, relatively new and yeah, um, yeah. going from there. So absolutely. Yeah. So to start us off, you know, as we do with each show here, sure. what, what would you say is that one line that best describes Lightpath? Lightpath enables technology customers to use photonics and optics in their products. We are enabler for that technology. Very good. All right, now let's get into some history. You know, as we, as I said, yeah. you know, not 10 seconds ago, that uh, <laughs> relatively new management is our first time doing an interview together. So give us yeah. that, what was the original problem that Lightpath was looking to solve and how has that thesis evolved over the years? Sure, absolutely. And, and that's a great way to ask it because the evolving thesis and taking it to new directions is really what everything is about right now. So in the world of optics, typically um, the lenses, like lenses in my glasses and such, are produced by polishing a piece of glass, taking a block of glass and just polishing it. it used to be manually, now automated, but you polish it into a shape. That's very limiting the shapes you can polish. And so ideally a lens would not necessarily be a perfectly round lens with a curve that is static like that. It might have a crazy curve or a crazy shape even, not be round. Lightpop through the company called Geltech nearly 30 years ago, invented and developed with the first market and market leader in molded optics. Molded optics allows similar to injection molding of plastic. It allows you to really fabricate the mold separately and then melt or soften the glass and by pressing it into the mold, shape it into the final shape you want. All of a sudden, what used to be theoretical lenses and not perfectly round and with a fixed radius to them, all of a sudden that problem was gone. And so lenses could become far, far more efficient. That Efficiency translates to, at, at the time, mainly translated to fiber optic world, where if you take a laser and you want to launch that light into a fiber, having that ability to make a lens that is aspheric as opposed to spherical lens, the classical lenses are called spherical, being able to make an aspheric lens meant you could collect more light and launch more light into the fiber, which meant you could go a longer distance. And that was absolutely Lightpath's focus until the early 2000s. So Lightpath came to market and went public and really grew on the whole notion that this new technology can significantly evolve efficiencies in optics and primarily in fiber optic communication and can, through that, increase the distances, the throughput, uh, signal-to-noise ratio, and different things like that, and makes the, the world of fiber optic communication far more efficient. That was, for years, Lightpath's claim to fame, and probably what you've been familiar with in the past. Since the telecom bubble burst 20 years ago, pretty much, Lightpath has been still focusing on that technology, but taking it into newer niche markets. 
And so Lightfarf has evolved over the years from being just a telecom company to being a company that those lenses go into defense systems, biological systems, medical systems, and far more. In fact, Lightpath is so diversified that there isn't a single end market that accounts for more than 20% of the sales, which such a, a natural diversification is very healthy, especially in a time like this we're facing. Now, at the time, Lightpath started focusing, this is about four or five years ago, in an area called infrared optics. Infrared optics is essentially, or infrared is all the light that we cannot see with our eyes. Lightpath understood that that technology that for years it had used for telecom and medical applications can now be used for infrared imaging, meaning night vision scopes, thermal imaging, and as you can imagine, a lot of military and defense, but not only. And so through the acquisition of ISP Optics in 2016-2017, a company that specializes in that area, Lightbath really made its way into infrared optics and started providing optical components in more areas and more applications than it had before. All of this was still very focused on components. Now, over these last 20 years or so, 20, 30 years, there have been some significant changes to our market. And when I say market, it's a bit difficult to, to really characterize it in such a way, since photonics is really an enabling technology. It's something you, know, you find in many, many other products, in many other markets, verticals. You know, I look around my office and my laser printer, of course, has photonics in it. My Fitbit measuring my heartbeat and my oxygen has it and so on, and more and more places. And so photonics isn't really an industry by itself, but rather it is a technology that enables other industries and other verticals to achieve things that could, they couldn't do before, right? The, the miniature phones, uh, camera phones today, you know, if you have a Samsung or an Apple, you have probably three phones, three cameras there at least, each one of them with seven lenses or so, all of that couldn't be done some years ago. The technology didn't exist to miniaturize the optics to that level. And so in those last 20, 30 years, there's been a lot of technological advancements that had suddenly made the optics and photonics technology to be very accessible to many new applications and markets. Price goes down, the size, the weight of it, you know, back to the cell phone example, you, you just try and picture that versus a large SLR, SLR camera, you know, and so on. So, so it's not only the cost went down, but also technology evolved to such a degree that you could do far more with optics now than you could before. And so optics started this transition from being a niche industry where it was really engineers selling to engineers, sort of companies like Lightbath would fabricate components for companies that specialized in optics. To now, it's not, I wouldn't say all of a sudden, but definitely gradually and much more accelerated in the last few years, the customers that are integrating optics in and using it are by no means experts in optics. And so an industry that supply chain was structured in a certain way now needs to change and adopt the new 
the new paradigm, the new reality. And if before that, you know, if I look back and 20 years ago, Lightbath sold individual lenses to customers that were designing and building their own optical systems, those customers back then knew far more than we did about optics. They just needed someone to fabricate the individual lenses for them to their specification. Sure. And, you know, for that existed hundreds of companies that would do that, everyone with their own small niche of technology. Now, fast forward to today, and you're seeing general diversified technology companies integrating optics into their product. Just the other day, I was talking to someone building small UAVs, drones. He by no means wants to design his own optics own system. He just wants to say, you know, this is the size of where I can fit the camera. This is the weight I can allow you. I need the signal to come out as pixels in this and this format. And now build me something that will work. That's a very different approach to it altogether. And so we're seeing the market going from a market for individual components, because it was a very specialized market, to a market where customers want a partner that will bring the domain expertise to them and help them achieve what they need with optics, but without them hiring 15 PhDs and investing $10 million in all the test and measurement equipment just to get started. So from a business perspective, and by the way, thank you for that full overview in history. I really appreciate that. That gave me a lot, gives a lot of meat, a lot of rabbit holes to go down here today. Um, <laughs> so from a business perspective, you, you, I want to hit on what you just finished with, yeah. there, how there's this shift in thinking where, you know, folks, they're, they're, you know, that rather than looking for the individual components, they want to have a partner to help them, develop, you know, Tell us about how that works from a business perspective. You know, is that wow. is that the direction yeah. you necessarily, as Lightpath, wanted to go down? Is that yeah, is just, that the kind of margins that you you know like what, yeah, absolutely. It, go go. I'd love to hear more there. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the direction we want to go. So I joined Lightpath um, two years, two and a half years ago. I actually joined four days before yeah, great the world time. went yeah. into lockdown. Absolutely, you know, it was funny. I. I was living in Virginia, flew down to, to uh, Orlando, where the, our headquarters is, said hello to everyone, met like 10 people, flew back to Virginia for a weekend, and that weekend lasted three and a half months. So <laughs> it was definitely an interesting time to start uh, such a new role. Um, but uh, shortly after I joined, we went into pretty intense development of strategy and work around analyzing the market, where we are, where we're going, and it became very apparent that although our technology is very unique and powerful in what it can create and the value it can create, we cannot actually capture that value. And everyone knows that in business, you know, or in any basic strategy, you want to create the value, but also capture it. As a component manufacturer, and especially of a technology that is already becoming more available than it was years ago, the only way you can really capture a value is by being the lowest cost provider. And that is what Lightpath was focusing on until that point. With the shift that we're seeing happening, and with a lot of dialogues with our customers and very, very direct and open discussions, we realized that what the customers really need, and also what most of them want, but I'll distinguish between those two things because they're not always the same thing, but what the customers really need 
is someone to be their partner in this field of optics. And so just as I described earlier, you know, whether it is a UAV drone company or whether it is even a biotech company that's developed a new algorithm for analyzing data, from all of those point of view, what all of those want, the commonality, is they want pixels. They don't really care how we get them the data, but what, what they actually want is data. Once we focus on that and understand it, our whole approach to it is becoming different. And so instead of when you're a component company, you wait for the customer to design the system and then come to you and tell you what components he needs. At that point, it's too late really to leverage too much uniquenesses that you have because the system is already designed. More than that, the customer owns the design and so can replace you also pretty easily. And he knows that, <laughs> most of them do at least. When you're providing a complete solution, it's, it's very, very different. You come in at a much earlier stage and that's a bit of a drawback there because you wanna be there when they start the drawing board. So you come in in an earlier stage, you become the expert for the customer in the whole aspect of the optics and photonics part of the system. You design and maintain the design of the optical subsystem and deliver to them a complete system subsystem that's ready for them to use. In the example in, of pixels, you know, it would literally be something that outputs pixels to their need. So Sam, how do you pick the right partner, right? Because you got to be careful here because yeah, you don't yeah. want to just you don't want to just go to some startup that's like, oh, we got this great idea for some drones and let's put all absolutely. You know, yeah. It's like you can do the whole complete, you know, infrastructure all I'm, you want, but I'm, they could be out of business in a year, and you're yeah. like, oh, that was that was great. You know, I, I, I'm laughing and smiling because I feel like you've been tapping our boardroom or something. Just two <laughs> weeks ago, we had a a strategy renewal session. And you know, one of the things that came out of it was, first of all, we want to be careful and not try and choose a winning technology or choose a winning customer because you just can't do that. You're not in the place to it. Secondly, no matter how much the customer promises and has great ideas and really believes in it, the numbers have to talk. And so at the end of that, uh, refreshing of strategy, we actually came out with a cheat sheet. And the cheat sheet helps both the salespeople in the front line and the line behind them of the sales support and product managers and such to go through opportunities and see how do they meet strategically. Is it really a fit like that? If a customer, you know, to put it simply, if a customer knows more about optics than I do, he doesn't need me to design the system for him. If a customer you know, needs a, a optical technology in his system, but his system is not well-defined yet, he doesn't know what he wants his product to do, you wanna be a bit cautious there. But if the customer is an established customer, is someone that you've worked with before, developed the trust that is needed for that, because trust is an important element here. He's essentially handing over to you part of his R&D process which for many technology companies is core. Then you can, yeah, absolutely focus on the work, on the design. Sure. Yeah. 
So, so then, you know, now that you've kind of zeroed in on, okay, this is the type of customer that we want to be working with. Yeah. Well, now, you know, any investor out there that uh, has probably been following the story or, or similar stories is like, sure. okay, well, how does that translate into market opportunity? Absolutely. So if you, if you take the component business as an example, where Lightbuff has come from and still 80, 90% of our revenue is still from the component, just to be fair about it, it doesn't happen overnight. In the component business, the customer has come to you already after he designed it. So the customer owns the IP, owns the design. He never goes to one company. So there's multiple companies that can do it. And you also always know that unless it is military or medical where you're locked in, you always live at the fears that the customer can switch over to someone else. Because again, the customer owns the design. It's fairly easy for them to do that. And that's what the margins look like. 30%, at best 40%, 40 plus percent. You know, Lightbath in its history has had in recent few years a few times of above 40% margin, but usually in the mid-30s to high-30s. On the other hand, if you're designing a subsystem for the customer, then to begin with, your whole part of the business or part of the customer's bill of material is much bigger. And so you're now capturing a chunk of the bill of material as opposed to individual components and lenses. Secondly, you own the design. And so the stickiness of the customer is at a whole new level. This is a customer that now, if they want two years later to go and get someone completely different to do it, they need to go through the design cycle all over again or try to reverse engineer what we designed. But the key is, we're not an engineering company. We're not doing it, you know, customers paying us, we engineer it and the customers owning it. We engineer it, but we own it. And we capture the value through the fact that we're selling the complete subsystem and then the margins are higher. And the customer understands that and is willing to pay because we save him 15 PhDs and $10 million investment, which, you know, he might need to, Higher 15 PhDs, but then half a year later fires them because it'll be done with the design. All right, I think I think we we wrapped. I think we got a good understanding yeah. of, of the of the strategy. You know how you're marketing to target customer, what the market opportunity is there. Absolutely. So, so now, from an execution standpoint, you know I, I you know went through went through you know yeah. some of the recent filings, recent um, uh, uh, numbers, and. It seems that I mean everybody is dealing with supply chain issues, right? Yeah, of so, course. Yeah, so yeah. you know, how how is the company dealing with some of the macro stuff that's happening right now? Yeah, yeah. So chain? so absolutely. So Lightbuff was in a bit of a unique place for the last twelve months, and that is that a few months after I joined the company, so in uh, um, uh, very early twenty twenty one, we found out that there's theft going on in our operation in China. And so over a period of over 10 years. Sorry, for those, who, for those yeah. that weren't watching on you on our video, I have just a head in my hand. Just like, unbelievable. I lived in China for six years. I thought I saw everything. This was, you know, unbelievable. The management of the China operations there had a complete free hand previously, stole millions of dollars over a period of over 10 years. And it all went unnoticed. And so 
exactly a year ago, pretty much, <laughs> we cleaned all of that up. But that hit us pretty badly because it, it was a large one-time expense. Remember, we had to do all of that without being able to travel to China. And we had to replace the entire management team in China. It wasn't one or two people. This was the whole management team that colluded together to do it. I mean, you don't do theft in that scale without, you know, some collusion. And just to give it into perspective, you know, this is, we're talking about periods where Lightpath, if you look way back and you know it, Bobby, probably, Lightpath would do $15 million in revenue. If someone is stealing a million dollars a year when you're doing $15 million in revenue, your actual performance is way different than what you realized. <laughs> and, and that's sort of the silver lining in it, that since we cleaned it up, the margins are improving, everything is going much better because lo and behold, when someone doesn't steal money from you, you actually are more profitable. That's amazing. <laughs> so what, So how did you... <laughs> Let's talk through this. I mean, this is a this is that's a whole podcast by itself, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, short um, story. Know, how, how did how did you guys? Yeah. Know? So I, I came in, and you know, shortly after I came in, I started shuffling everything around. We bought I bought in new management teams, the entire C suite and VPs, all new. We made significant changes in the board of directors. We put in a mandatory retirement age. We had. The chairman that was a chairman for 25 years retired. You know, a lot of different wow. changes. None of those necessarily relate directly to China, but as you can imagine, you start rattling the cages and all sorts of things come out. And yeah, how, how were you and, able to, to enact those changes? Did you come, as, come in as a significant shareholder as well? And, and um, no, sure. actually yeah. not. Just as a CEO. And, you know, this is part of. You, when you're the CEO, you need to take care of all different aspects of it. And, you know, I've done turnaround of companies many, many times. Um, I've built organizations prior to joining Lightpath. I built a company from about $40 million to $500 million over 15 years, you know. So I've done and through a lot of acquisitions and turnarounds. And so I've done that. And at some point you develop an act to it, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I only ask it like that because, you know, usually, especially in microcap land, you know, a CEO doesn't usually have that kind of have that kind of sway and power, you know, as as a quote unquote hired gun, you know, um, yeah. you know, to then, you know, revamp the entire board and and. I mean, obviously. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm getting extremely strong support from the current board of directors. Oh, good. You know, with Chairman Lou Lieberg and uh, Scott Ferris and Eric Cribston from Quava, you know, all big names and very, very strong people that have done it. And I think they all are enjoying to see sort of what is happening and what we're doing and, and are now completely on board with it. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're CEO of a public company, you you do both uh, marketing and problem solving. Those are pretty, <laughs> pretty much the two things you do most time. Um, and so, you know, we rattled cages and started putting in a lot of checks and balances and digging into every single line item on the income statement, every GL, scrubbing everything, you know, putting a freeze on all expenses. And suddenly you start seeing, you know, Wait, why are you paying in China $50,000 to that company? What are they doing for us? And things like that. Right. And you start rattling the cages strong enough 
at the end of the day, a good Samaritan in China called me at three o'clock in the morning and explained what is really happening. Wow. That's, and, that's uh, wild. Yeah. Well, that is, that's yeah. Now, I, I lived in China for six years. So, you know, it does help to speak the language and for people to know you. But uh, um, it's it was definitely, even for me, it was a shocker. That's one I haven't seen to that level before. I was going to say, when they brought when when the, when the they brought you in as CEO, I mean, well, that, was that one of the things that they knew that you had you had that ability? Because I'm well, sure they, you didn't think that you would be having to deal with this. No, absolutely. But but having spent six years in China building from scratch operations that's now a hundred million dollars was a extremely important point for the board of directors. I think they, while I'm a hundred percent sure no one knew anything about that, I think everyone had a feeling that you know, we need to have more control over the China operation. And so that was a, definitely a big plus. So, you know, when, when you talk about light bulbs the last 12 months, so we went through both a very significant spending of well over $2 million about 12 months ago, just for the cleanup of all of that because we had to do it remotely, and losing two of our biggest customers in China one of them because of that event and because of their personal relationship with the with the previous management and another for completely different reasons so if you look at our operation at our numbers for this year compared to last year in the first three quarters of this fiscal year our fiscal year goes through june 30th in the first three quarters of this fiscal year our sales in china were cut by a half we went from about $11 million in China in fiscal 2021 in the first three quarters to five and a half million in the first three quarters of fiscal 2022. Net of that, we're actually growing 10%. We're actually expanding. We've made investments in our operation in Latvia to make it vertically integrated and to enable it to take on more defense work, which timing for that couldn't have been better. Latvia is part of the EU, and now we have a strong defense presence in the EU. So that's a very good timing for us. We've been, we now started expanding the operation in Orlando. And as we said earlier, a lot of different changes all the way around. So, you know, I think the operation is actually doing really well. We're at a very good turning point. The problem is that we started, you know, with a handicap. And that is that exactly at the start of our fiscal year, we had to clean up all that mess. Absolutely. And start with that handicap and uh, and lose five and a half million dollars of revenue in three quarters, which is you know essentially something like fifteen percent of the revenue when vanished overnight. So right, say so two two steps back, just take one step forward, as they like to say, right? Well, you know that's part of turnaround. Sometimes you sure. need to accept it. And as as one of my investors said to me when all of that came down, he said. You need to now, for the next three quarters, run it like it's your private business. It's just you're just not going to satisfy the markets in those next quarters, no matter what you do. So just do the right things and clean up what you need to clean up. That was great advice, probably because it, it like as when as you put out the numbers, like you 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 know you you're going to be getting hell from people that probably don't that they they don't yeah, know the business yeah. as well now, as maybe some of the maybe more long absolutely so, now you look at yeah. the analysts that cover us sure. you know and the analysts that cover us hold us at three and a half dollars a share maybe even four dollars a share because they go to the effort and dig through the numbers and understand what is happening they understand that if someone was stealing from you 
that amount of money for so many years, the inherent performance of the company is actually better than it was before because they were stealing from the top line, from the very, very top line. So, you know, that's money that would have flown all the way to the bottom line. So, so when you get that, you know, people that do that, I think, understand and value the company properly. The problem is that, you know, at the end of the day, when you're a microcap, you get only two or three analysts paying attention. And you get a lot of retails that what they see is the headline of the press release and the bottom line of your income statement. You two or three analysts of some retail, and then you have to talk to me, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the cherry. That's the uh, I appreciate that. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. No, so, I mean, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you're going through this turnaround. How are we doing from a cash position right now? Are we able to, are we able to fund some of, you we're, know, clean up? We're doing and, well. We're, yeah. So we've, uh, so we've been able to hold steady on cash. You know, Lightpath is a good cash generator, even when we're not making a net income. Um, we're able to hold, I think we had in the last quarter, we reported five point something million in cash and just slightly less than that in debt. While during that time, we're still, we're paying off the debt at an accelerated rate. And we are also um, investing, you know, one, two, sometimes $3 million a year in CapEx. Um, so all of that from cash flow, we haven't had to tap into a loan or to debt to finance operations in, in quite so many years. So I think that's... Uh, going very well. Of course, you know, you can never have enough cash, but uh, somehow right now the markets are not a good time for that. So I don't think sure. that's something we'll be doing. Sure. So then, you know, this is probably my favorite question to ask everybody on here. So, uh -huh. um, so <laughs> what, what do you think investors get most confused about when, uh, you know, maybe they did a one-on-one -on -one with you or yeah, just looking very passively. Well, I think for a technology companies, the biggest issue, a, a company like Lightpath, is that on one hand, we have a great positive, and that is our customer base is very diversified because Photonics is not an end product. It's an enabling technology. And, and you know, it's a key technology in so many places. But on the other hand, you don't see it. And you don't know what it is exactly. And most investors, most of us are human. We like to put things into buckets, into things that are familiar. And it's difficult to put a company like this into a certain bucket because we're not automotive, we're not telecom, we're not, you know, medical. We don't have one specific vertical. We don't have one specific product like the chip industry semiconductors might have. And, and then it's clear what you're making. And so I think that's part of the biggest struggle of customers, of investors. Sorry. And I think that, you know, that's part of always the effort of a microcap of this size is to find a way to make a presentation that helps explain that without needing to sit down with someone for half an hour. Because as much as I like talking, not everyone likes listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So that in your opinion, you know, what, what would you then say are also some of the company's downside risks? Yeah, I think our downside risk is the fact that we're shifting. We're, we're moving from being a component company to something different. Now, we're basing, and we didn't talk too much about it, but we're basing our, our sort of solution offering on the core technologies we have. But we're moving from 
components, which is a shorter sales cycle, because the customer already talks to you when he's ready to manufacture, he already finished designing everything, to now designing solutions, which means it's a much longer cycle, we're much earlier in it, and to a different sales structure. And that's part of, you know, also rattling and shifting things around, it's getting to the sales structure we need. And so the downside is, you know, screwing that up, not being able to do it, right? Any change is also a risk in that sense. Very good. And I mean, and then there's always, as always, execution risk. You know, it's like, all right, yep. this is our strategy. Mm-hmm. This is where we're going to go moving forward. And now right, we just exactly. have to and you know, get the sales, it, it, get, get the pipeline going. And you want to leap from, you know, one set of sort of secure revenues that even though it's not great revenue and it's diminishing margins, you want to take the leap from there into something different. And, you know, there is that period in which we're in and some investors might be confused because of that in which we're not here, nor there yet. And that's where, you know, the CEO strategy and cohesiveness of the implementation of the strategy are so important. 100%. So then on, on where, where do you see the company in three to five years? And, and what would you say are the inflection points that will get you to that point? Yeah, great point. So I see us in five years as a solution provider. And when you say solution provider, I'd say we go from showing an individual lens like this as what we make to showing a complete camera system, maybe, or a complete payload for a drone or for a plane or a complete uh, vision system for a boat, for an army boat or ship, um, you know, the product will be very, very different. The inflection points between here and there are going to be a few things. One, key technologies. So we're not going to be the only company doing that. And there are other companies that have also understood the change happening in the market and also shifting towards that direction of providing complete solutions rather than components. We're gonna be more successful because we own and keep developing key technologies, key enabling technologies. Take our freeform optics, for example. So that's an extension of our molded optics that we announced on half a year ago. Right now, the focus of that is still in the component business. It's a key component for AR, VR glasses and for LiDAR. But in the LiDAR, owning that key technology is already taking us from being component manufacturer to subsystem. And so most of the LiDAR companies we're working with, we're doing systems or assemblies for them and not complete, not individual components. The reason is we own that one key technology called freeform optic that improves the performance of their system. If it is in AR or virtual reality goggles, it reduces the size and the weight. If it is in LiDAR, it increases the distance and the field of view. So owning those key technologies, that is the, that is the key there, no pun intended. But you know that, that's what really makes the difference because at the end of the day, we will be able to deliver for the customer better systems that have an overall lower cost of ownership. Not an overall lower cost, we're not competing on price, but rather, you know, we look at the cost of ownership because the cost of ownership includes all the factors, the weight, the size, the power consumption, the lifetime of the system, and so on. And and that's a very different look at it. 
Another example of a key technology like that is the materials themselves. In most of the infrared imaging, the material used is called germanium. Germanium is a mineral that does not exist naturally in the US and that 95% of it is imported from outside with two thirds of it coming from China and one third from Russia. And, you know, that's not a great thing, especially since a lot of the infrared optics goes into defense products. And so Navy Research Lab developed some materials that can be substitutes to germanium. We received the exclusive license for those materials half a year ago. That means we will be able to develop systems in infrared imaging that use those materials when everyone else will need to keep buying them from China and from Russia and be limited in supply and have a cyclical pricing. So it's owning those key technologies, that is what is going to make a difference in the execution and implementation. Got it. Well, a couple more questions for you here, but um, another question, you know, like I said, you, you know, the company's been going to investor conferences over the years, you know, done a few in the last yeah. few years, even, you know, since you came on as CEO, you know, how much, if at all, and you, you actually told a little story on this as well, you know, about, <laughs> you know, talking to shareholders and, and taking their advice or their opinion. But, yeah. you know, other than that story, I mean, how much, if at all, have your shareholders influenced any of your corporate strategy or other decision making process? Well, the, the strategy is a bit harder to for shareholders to influence. It's the, you know, I think there's, right. we get the buy-in and support from shareholders, but you know, the influence part, unless it happens to be a shareholder from the industry or so, um, not as much. Um, in terms of influence, a great deal. I mean, I, I place that as a very significant importance. In fact, if you go to our website, there's a button there that allows you, anyone to contact me directly, and I'll reply to any email. I invite shareholders to visit and to call me directly if they want. There's always, you know, there. And we listen, you know, we've recently uh, revamped our entire executive compensation plan and realigned it to shareholder value. And now our bonuses get paid only if we have a net income and, and we create value and are completely aligned to total shareholder return. And so we're using a measure like that to know, have we really created value to shareholders this year or not? Same with the board also, you know, are you much better alignment, much more transparency in, in what we do in communication and such. So hopefully, you know, that comes across to shareholders loud and clear. And absolutely, we, we love to hear what it is. And at the end of the day, it's their company. <laughs> absolutely. So then to close us out here today, you know, um, what, how has your experience been being a being a CEO, look, you're used to doing the turnaround game. Yeah. You know that that seems to be your bread and yeah. butter. But I mean, it's, still... it's great. It's uh, I actually still very much enjoying it. Now, everyone warned me beforehand and said, "Yeah, it will be fun for the first few quarters, and then you'll get fed up from needing to report every quarter and answer people, so on." And I'm not. I think I'm actually as long as as long as things are moving and we're doing, I'm enjoying myself. Absolutely. Just that kind of person. They, they said they said that you know the first few quarters were fun. You didn't have fun from the get go, man. That was well, that was days uh, before COVID <laughs> break out. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that was that was not a fun time. It was a very unique experience. Yeah, the so next time will be easier. I hope. 
Absolutely. Well, with that, you know, Sam, you answered all my questions. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Where, where, can, where can our audience go and find more information on LightPath? Absolutely. On our website, uh, the investor relations part of our website. Again, contacting me or our CFO or any one of the management, our contact details on the website to enable cus- uh, shareholders to contact us directly and encourage them to. And we'd be happy to take calls and to uh, help with anything any shareholders want. And that's actually lightpath.com. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. I really Absolutely, do appreciate Bobby. it. Good luck. Stay thank safe. you. We'll see appreciate you in, uh, it. I look forward to our next update. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.